Happy 15th birthday, Revolution Church. Man, come on, somebody. You, you know what that means, right? You know what that means. We are officially an awkward teenager as a church, and um, we're just a phase, man. It's just a phase, and so we don't want to miss it. But it is crazy to think about the fact that our church is 15 years old today. 15 years ago, our church was started. In fact, there's still some founding families around here like dinosaurs. It's amazing. They do exist and they are amazing. And so from the families that not only started the church, but all of you that have come along during some part of that season, man, it is just really, really incredible to think about what God has done. And thinking about my own family, I always remember kind of two milestones that one, the church is 15 years old. That's how old my son is. He's 15. And then my daughter, who is nine, always reminds me of how long I've personally been here. Our family has been here. Some of you know this story. Some of you may not. But when we came to Revolution Church, I didn't start the church. Another pastor started it. And God used our daughter to help us understand to come here. And he very clearly spoke to us because our daughter's adopted and said, Jason, just like you didn't birth this baby, but you're adopting her. You didn't birth this church. And I want you to adopt this church. And then I accepted the position on December 5th, 2009. And that's the exact same day my daughter was born. And so we always know how long we've been here by Natalie's birthday and how old the church is by Jackson's birthday. And so it's just one of those kind of cool God things. You're like, oh, that's just weird. Hey, it means a lot to me. Hush your mouth. All right. Um, so it's just really, really cool to think about what God has done in our 10 years of being here this January and then in uh, 15 years of the church. This is incredible. So that's why we want to take a moment in a couple weeks and celebrate that. So I want to invite both campuses out. Uh, we'll give you more details about that in the next coming weeks. But we're in this series right now really has a lot to do with that same kind of idea because our church is, it goes, goes through phases. And just like that, our, our kids, we as people go through phases. And so we're in this series called It's Just a Phase, talking about parenting, how we want to reclaim this phrase, it's just a phase, because so often when we think about our kids going through certain phases, we think about it negatively. Like, oh, it's just a phase, like the terrible twos and then the Still is the terrible threes. You're like, oh, it's just a phase. I can't wait to get through it. But what we're saying is, no, we don't want to just wait to get through it. We don't want to miss it because our kids are only kids. They're only two once. They're only three once. They're only four once. And so we want to engage as parents in each phase. And so if you were here last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about how to do that. And I gave you an illustration at the end about some marbles. And literally at both locations today, we've got a resource center. This is a sack of 936 marbles. All right. Uh, I know several of you moms went home and cried because you're like, oh, yeah, this many marbles left. But it's a great concept. It's a great visual to help remind us about time. Because one of the things we talked about last week as well is that it's not that time heals all wounds. We all agree that that statement is not true. It takes time for wounds to heal, but it's really about doing the right things over time. That is the point. It's not time itself is doing the right things. And that's the equation I gave you. And just in case you weren't here last week, I'll tell you, but even if you were, I want to recap quickly for you. I introduced a couple equations last week. I'm going to hit them for you again real quick. It's doing the right things over time that equals health. Doing the right things over time that equals health. Time itself doesn't heal all wounds. If you want health, if you want healing, you can't just wait on time. You got to do the right things. So doing the right things over time equals health. And then we introduced another equation as we think about parenting in phases. Doing the right things over each phase in our kids' lives equals growth. 
Our mission as a church is to love Jesus, grow people. Our mission for our kids' ministry, love Jesus, grow kids. And so that's what we want. We want our kids to grow, to love Jesus, but we gotta do the right things over each phase. And so we're just talking in a series of messages in a series of a couple weeks about what are some of those right things that we can do over time, over each phase, so that we can get health and we can get growth. We're gonna continue that same conversation today. So if you've got a Bible, open it back up to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, that's in the first part of your Bible. It's the fifth book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. We've got the verses here on the screen. If you don't even own one, we'd love to give you one for free after the service is over. We're gonna dig back into the verse that we looked at last week called the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through 11. And then we're gonna look, or four through seven, I think this week. And then we're gonna go to the New Testament, first John chapter four. So you can just kind of hold, that's on the very opposite end of your Bible. So we're gonna hang out for a while in Deuteronomy chapter six, and then we'll go in first John chapter four, right? But as always, before we jump into the Bible, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Uh, that's what we're gonna talk about today, God how you've loved us over time. And so God, I pray as we open up your word today that we would see that, we would understand that, how you've instructed us. And then God, I pray that you would help us to not only see that, but understand it and know it and love it. Uh, God, whether we're here and we know this or whether we're new to this, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would speak to us, open our eyes to see the truth in it. And as always, help me to communicate it in Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter six is where we're going to start. And before we get to that point, I want to give you guys a couple of quotes here, or really one quote that's going to kind of frame out our conversation of Deuteronomy chapter six, because in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through seven, there's two principles that really is illustrated by this point. And this point that I'm going to give you comes from all the materials that we have available today. And that's why we have those resources available to you, because we want you to have reinforcements when you leave. All right. But there's a, there's a statement that I read this last week that really encapsulated, I think, what Deuteronomy chapter six is trying to say. And so two things you need to know are two points, and we'll leave them up so you can write them down, and then we're going to unpack them, all right? But listen to this. It says, any leader or parent who wants to connect the message of God's love and forgiveness to this generation of kids and teenagers needs to know two things. How many things? Two things. Needs to know two things. So here's the two things. They need to know, listen to this, they need to know God's love and forgiveness personally. They need to know God's love and forgiveness personally. And then two, they need to know kids and teenagers personally. They need to know God's love personally, and they need to know kids and teenagers personally. So this is anybody, whether you're a leader, whether you're a parent, there's two things that you need to know when it comes to how to do the right things over time, the right things over each phase. The first one is, you better know and love God personally. And then two, know your student, know your kid and love them personally in whatever phase that they're in. Those two things are so important, but I think the first one gets missed so often. It gets missed so often because we go right into thinking about what our kids need and we miss that we cannot give something that we don't personally have. We can't give what we don't have. And that's what I love about Deuteronomy when Moses is writing this. Remember I told you last week, Deuteronomy means second law. This doesn't mean there's, there's a second one. It just means that Moses is saying it a second time. And that's all you parents, you know, you got to say things multiple times. But look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four and five. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, we looked at this last week, kind of did a, an overview, kind of a flyby of it, but I want to dig in a little bit more. The very first thing that Moses tells this generation of people is, hey, listen, you better love God first. We talked about that last week. Put him first. But here's the key thing. This was a new generation of people. Again, you got to remember, here's Moses, and he's been pastoring these people for 40 years. He led them out of Egypt through the wilderness, kind of got stuck in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're going into the promised land, and Moses' leadership tenure is done, and now Joshua is taking over, and he's saying to this new generation of people, listen, don't be like the last generation where they failed to love God. This generation, love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. Here's what I know to be true. It's really hard to give my kids love that I don't personally have. And I thought about that this week, and anybody who's ever flown has heard these words before. I had to fly to Kansas City this week and work with our church planning partners and talk about how we're going to continue to multiply. And anytime you've ever been on a plane, You've heard somebody come online or, you know, they sit in the aisle and, and they say something like this. If we were to experience a loss in cabin pressure, these masks are going to come out of the sky, right? They're going to come out of the ceiling and take your mask and put it on your kids first. That's what they say, isn't it? Oh, it's not. Maybe I should quit having my noise canceling headphones on actually. No, that's not what they say, right? I was just checking if you were paying attention. What do they say? Put it on yourself first. Put it on yourself first, because here's what we know to be true. If you don't put it on yourself first, there's a chance of two people dying. If you don't put it on yourself first. Now that flies in the face of everything we think to be true when it comes to parenting. Like, I'm gonna put it on my kids first. But listen, but I, I, I can't help my kids if I'm not receiving oxygen myself. And so I love that Moses starts here first. He said, listen, you got to love God first, because if you're not loving God first, then you won't even know what love is to know how to properly love your kids. You know, there's a phrase that's kind of popular in our culture right now that says you got to learn how to love yourself first. And I'm not saying it's wrong to love yourself because God made us and we should love that. But I think that just doesn't get to the real heart of the matter. I don't think it's about me loving myself, I think it's first and foremost about me letting myself be loved. So I would say it like this. The first thing we've got to understand is God loves us. It's not so much about me loving myself, but it's letting me be loved by God. And that's what Moses is getting at here. Because here's one thing I know to be true. See, I have the unique experience of being a pastor and a parent. And I say this often, often, but pastoring is just like parenting, and parenting is just like pastoring. I've been pastoring since I was 20. I'm 40 now. I know you're like, wow, you look amazing. Thank you. And I've been pastoring for 20 years, and I've been parenting. I had my first child at, fi at fi ooh, 15. Ooh, let me back up. You're like, how is that happening? If you parent and then, no, I, I didn't get the order wrong. I had my first child when I was 25. So pastoring since I was 20, parenting since I was 25. And, and those of you that have had a parent, this is what's, I mean, had a parent, you've had a parent. Those of you, I, I, I swear by third service, it's going to be awesome. All right. 
those of you that have had a kid, I'll never forget that moment. I've described this before. You know, when, when Lindsay was giving birth, it was like an alien encounter. You know, and then they take him into this little room, get him all cleaned up. And then I just remember thinking, oh, he's got to come home with me. And I got to be straight with you. I don't know what the doctors were thinking. Like, why in the world did they let this long haired young punk of 25 years take him? Like, I think they probably should have checked me out a little bit more. And if I was a doctor, I think that'd be the hardest thing. Like, he's going home with you. But at that moment, at 25, I felt immensely responsible for another human being's soul. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. There was instantly this weight of like, oh, this is a little bit different than having a dog. No offense to dogs. Don't email me. Don't add me. But it's kind of funny when you think about it. The bigger the species, the kind of more responsible you feel. If it's a cricket, you're like, eh. A lizard, you might like it a little bit, runs away. No big deal. You know, a a little, I was going to say a Furby, but that's not a living thing. Um, (laughs) Little chipmunk, you know, in your house, dies. You're sad. Dog, a little bit more sad. The bigger they get, the more important it becomes. Kids, again, I'm not saying don't love your animals. I'm just saying there's a little bit different value between kids and dogs. The stakes were sky high. And I just remember thinking this weight of like, oh, I got to feed him and take care of him. And whoa. And here's what I know. Again, I've been parenting for 15 years, been pastoring for 20 Nothing will kill my soul faster than being responsible for somebody else's soul. It's just true, man. Let me say that again, because I think some of you missed it. Nothing will kill my soul faster than being responsible for somebody else's soul. Here's what I mean by that. Because now that I'm responsible for somebody else's soul and well-being, I will constantly give to them constantly give to them. In those early days, I had a lot of love to give. I had a lot of sleepless nights to give for like six weeks, right? And then I'm like, I need some sleep, yo. And early, I was full, so I had a lot to give. But the longer you keep parenting, the emptier you become. You know what I'm saying? And then you reach this point of like, I don't have any more to give. See, it's, it's a privilege to pastor But you got to understand something. Nothing will kill my love for the word of God quicker than having to teach it to you every week. Because if I have to teach it to you every week, then I will feel the responsibility of having to teach it to you so that you love it. And what can happen so often is I'll quit loving it myself. You know what I'm saying there? And maybe you haven't pastored before, but you can understand it from a parenting standpoint of, listen, nothing will kill it faster than feeling the weight of somebody else's eternity. And so you have to teach them and then I'll replace teaching them with loving it myself. And so here's what I'm saying when it comes to parenting. The best thing that we can do when it comes to teaching our kids Showing our kids, loving our kids is letting God love us. Letting God teach us. 
having a rhythm in my life where I am being filled up by the word of God, where I am being filled up by the love of God, by the spirit of God. And then out of that, I parent. Out of that, I pastor. One of my favorite verses is Acts 20, 28. I don't have it on the screen, but you can write it down as a reference. Paul's leaving and he's telling the elders, and this is what he says. He's leaving, going on another missionary journey, probably not gonna see them again. And he says, "Pay pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock of God. But first and foremost, pay careful attention to yourselves. Friends, here's what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying is not selfishly, Not denying that you have that responsibility, but since I can't give what I don't have, you and I better have a regular rhythm of receiving the love of God first. So I love that quote. You better know God's love and forgiveness personally. Because here's what I can tell you about your kids. You may not know this, but here's what I can tell you. They can sniff out an inauthentic person like that. Your kids have a better lie detector than a beagle. They just do, man. If they hear you talking about how they are supposed to love God, but they don't see it in you, they're done. They can sniff it out, man. If they don't see you reading your scriptures, if they don't see you dealing with God on something, if they don't, let me say it to you, if they don't see you struggling with your own sin and having to confess, if they don't see that, If they don't see a personal relationship with God in you, you can try all you want to try to get them to have one, but they'll just mimic you. Very simply, what I'm saying is an hour on Sunday cannot make up for six weeks or six days of not loving God. And this is, again, I'm a pastor. My kids know I'm paid to preach. I'm paid to, this is, and I joke about this, this is why I think God made me to be a pastor. He knew that I had to be paid to be holy. It was the only shot I had. But, but what would it create in my kids if they started to think that I only love God because I got paid for it? If I'm only reading my Bible because it's my job. And so there's gotta be an authenticness with my own kids and with your own kids where they see you loving God and being loved by God and wrestling through the circumstances that we go through in such a way where you're authentic and you're saying, man, I'm loving God right now, but I don't understand this. I messed this one up and I need to confess because I've sinned against God. So the first thing that Moses says that we've got to get right is we have to love God and better yet, be loved by God personally. Then the second one there, he says, or the point was to know your kids personally. And this is where the whole phase concept comes in because our kids grow through each phase. And so we have to know how to apply the love of God to specific seasons, to Pacific. You ever get that word wrong? Always say Pacific when it comes to Pacific. And so if you hear me say Pacific, I'm not talking about the ocean. I really meant the word specific. All right. You with me there? All right. Now we know how to communicate with each other. But look at verse seven. Look at verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. The word there diligently literally means this, to teach and impress by frequent 
repetitions. How many of you know saying I love you once in a specific season is not enough? Again, a little free marital advice here. Men saying I love you on your wedding day better be the first, not the last time you've said it. Well, she knows I love her. I'm still here, ain't I? (laughs) No, she wants you to say I love you daily, right? She wants you to have a gift on her birthday. You better figure this out now in premarital. Do you celebrate Valentine's or not? Because you're going to get in trouble, bro, if you don't understand. St. Patrick's too, right? Like whatever the day is, you better know. Why? Because we know that it's not just once, it's over time. And so when he's talking about teaching diligently here, he's saying, listen, you've got to engage at each phase of your kids' lives. Just telling your kids wants to love God in a specific phase is not enough. You've got to engage diligently, repetitiously, creating a rhythm within your home of you loving God And then out of that love, you're teaching diligently your kids how to love God in those specific phases. And this is one of the things I love the most about this whole curriculum. This is why we use it. This whole philosophy is my job as a parent is to help our kids understand the different aspects of who God is correlating to the phase that they're in. Here's what I mean by this. I read this quote this week. And again, this all comes from the resources we have. I thought it was so good. I wanted to share it with you. Our job is not to redefine God at every phase, but our job is to help our kids. Now listen to these words, rediscover God in a new way at each phase. Our job is not to redefine God. That word's important because our kids We can sit here and lament all we want about the culture our kids are growing up in, or we can just face the fact of, listen, our culture is trying to redefine everything. Our culture is redefining everything. And our job as parents is not to redefine God. Let's get that straight. He doesn't need to be redefined. But we better know what the definition is so that we can help our kids rediscover God in each phase. Think about it like this. When our kids are young, they're full of wonder. Again, the first phase, that preschool phase, they're full of wonder. And they need to know that everything that they enjoy is because God is big and God is good and God is creative. And so we have conversations with our kids. I remember having these conversations with my daughter because she liked the color pink early on. She doesn't like it as much now in a phase, right? But I would tell her, you know who made the color pink? You know who made it? God. You want to know why he made the color pink? So that you could enjoy it. See, that's how we engage with our kids in that specific kind of early on phase, letting them know that everything good in the world is there because God made it and he's good. So I'm helping my kids discover God in that early phase. And the next phase, that elementary phase, you got to think more like a scientist because in the first phase, they're discovering what is. And in the second phase, they're discovering what's real. 
And so like scientists, they're, they're testing theories, empirical evidence. Does this work? Does this work? Does this work? This is when we got to have rules and structures. Here's how the laws of gravity work. If you jump off a building, you're going to fall. If you touch a flame, you're going to get burned, right? Like they're testing all those theories. And so it's in that phase where we help our kids rediscover not only is God good and he's creative and he's awesome, but he put principles in place. And these principles are in place to keep you alive. These principles are in place to help you enjoy all the good things that he created. So this is that time where we're helping our kids rediscover that God is a God of rules, but not for rules only, but for our enjoyment. So we help kids discover God in that way. In that middle school phase, this is when they're starting to think like an engineer. Here's what you need to know about middle schoolers. They're going to go with what works. They're going to go with what works. And if God's not working for them, you know this, they'll drop him like a hat. And so we have to help our kids understand in that middle school phase, not only God is and God is real, but God works. His way works. His way works. So if you do it his way, I promise it'll work. You can try not doing it his way and it won't work. So we're, we're helping our kids rediscover God in that phase. And then in the high school years, they're thinking more like a philosopher. They're not only thinking, is God real? Does he work? But is it true? Is it true? This is where, where teenagers in this, this season of life are like, have you been lying to me this whole time? And again, they can sniff it out like a dog. If, if your life doesn't line up with what you've been saying, you're a liar. And so this is when they're pushing back and they're saying, is that true? And this is when you help kids engage in that season of their life and say, man, not only is it true, but God is so true. He is so big. There is so much to know about him. And we'll get into more of words and stories last week because your kids need to know that they're connected to a faith that didn't come on the scene two decades ago. They're connected to a faith that was there in the beginning. And so when they think about, is this true? We know them in that specific season and we know how to apply the love of God to them in that phase. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you? So again, we're not redefining God. We're helping our kids rediscover God and how we do it is different in each phase. But here's the consistent thing. I told you last week, it's doing the right things over time. Recapped it today. So if I was going to give you a title for this week's message, here it is. It's love over time equals worth. Love over time equals worth. So what's the right thing to do over time? Love. Love over time. Again, I can't just say it once. I'm saying it in this phase, and I'm saying it in this phase, and I'm saying it in this phase, then I'm saying it in this phase. And when I do that over time, it creates worth. Now, you can turn to 1 John 4, because we're going to camp out there just for the last few minutes that we have, and we're going to talk a little bit about love. Because how many know that our culture has redefined love? Even when I say the word love, we all have our definition of it. And a lot of us think it's feeling. Whoa, whoa, feelings. I'm not a singer, I preach. But how I many you know love's not a feeling? And, and again, 
Two things, my job is to help my kids through each phase by me loving and receiving love from God personally. And then out of that, knowing my kids and the phase that they're in, teaching them about that love. Well, if that's my job, if that's what they need, then I better understand what love is. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Verse 7 to 11. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love, sorry, does not know God because God is what? Let's try that again. God is what? Love. Here's what he means by this. We wouldn't know what love is if it weren't for God. So if you want to know the definition of love, you look at the character of God. That's what love is. Why? Because God defined it. Again, we like to think about love like it's just this thing out there in the world. And like, where did that come from? Well, it sure didn't come from nature. Like, I don't know if you've ever been out in nature, but animals eat each other. That ain't love. That tiger is so loving. Yeah, but he'll bite your neck meat if you don't, if you don't watch out, right? Hey, <laughs> love, man. Sheer survival. He will eat you. How do we know love? It's just a chemical in our brain. Try to tell that to a parent when you try to discipline their kid. It ain't just a chemical in my brain that I feel towards my kids. Love isn't just a concept. Love isn't just a feeling. Love is defined in a person. This is what John is saying. And this word for love, and I've said this often around here, and I'll say it again because I have to teach diligently, and teaching diligently is reminding you. But there's different Greek words for love, and this one is the one agape, which is God-like love, and here's the definition of it. I've said it to you before. I'll say it again. So if you haven't written it down once, you might want to write it down again. Here's the definition of this word love. To have, listen to me, to have a strong non-sexual affection. Right there, our culture would be like, huh? We can't even define love without talking about a sexual affection. Like that is just how we think. But this definition is a strong non-sexual affection, listen, for a person and their good, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. That is love. Love is an affection that I have for someone else that leads me to sacrifice myself for them. That's love. And John's saying, God defined that. He didn't say love is God. That's what our culture tries to say. Hey, love is love. Love is God. Love is the highest good. No, what John is saying is God is the highest good and God is the highest good because God is love. You wouldn't know what love is if it weren't for God. Love is not the highest good. God is the highest good. And what is God? God is love. The very fact of love exists in who God is. And so when we talk about love over time creates worth, here's what we're saying. 
As parents, we have to allow God to love us like that. Because if we don't know that God loves us like that, then we won't be able to love our kids like that out of an authentic place. And this is why this is so important. Because I don't want you to leave today like having a drive-by guilting. You ever had that happen? Like well-meaning Christians just drive-by guilting and then and then guilt and then they move on. And you're like, thanks for that one. Appreciate it. I was doing great until you, you showed up and started talking. I don't want church today to be a drive-by guilting. So I don't want you to leave today like, I gotta love God more. If I just love God more, I gotta read my Bible in the morning. It's not what I'm saying. I don't know why I make those faces and those noises. All right. Here's what I am saying. What I'm saying is tomorrow, wake up and let God love you more. Because that's who he is. Look at what John says next. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. You need to get this one. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That simply means to be a payment. Love over time equals worth. Remember that? So God loving you over time creates worth in you. And when we as moms and dads experience that love from God, we feel worth. You mean he loves me like that? Not that I love him, but that he loves me and I receive and I can rest in that love. If, if I had time, we would, maybe I'll just preach through first John again. We did it a couple of summers ago. Maybe I would do it again. But in verse 16, he says this, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. My friends, one of the biggest reasons why you and I don't love self-sacrificingly is because we haven't been loved self-sacrificingly. Because here's what I know. If I need you to love me, then I won't sacrifice myself for you. But if I have been loved by God like that, and I don't need you to return that love to me because I'm receiving it from God, then I'll love you like that. And this is why, you know, just the way we talk about love in our culture is just so weird. Like, Lindsay's not my soulmate. You want to know why Lindsay's my wife? Because she said yes. And I asked. Lindsay's not my soulmate. She doesn't Jerry Maguire me. You know what I'm saying? When I say that, it's an old reference. She doesn't complete me. And here's what I'm saying. If I need Lindsay to complete me, then I'm using her for myself. No wonder our marriages are jacked up. We keep looking for our savior in our spouse. But if I let the Savior love me, and this is what's crazy, the Bible even talks about him as a husband and us as his bride. If I let him love me self-sacrificingly, then guess what? I'll love my wife like that. I'll love my kids like that. 
So love over time equals worth. We need to understand, hey, God loves us like that. He creates worth in us. And then when we feel like that, when we feel loved, we'll give it out naturally. It'll just overflow. It'll just ooze out of our pores. And then the second part is love like that. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, last one. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love over time equals worth. So when God's loving me over time, and then out of that love, I'm loving my kids over time, it creates worth in them. But here's what you need to know. Your kids don't just need to know that you love them over time. They need to know that you love them over time because God has loved you over time. Because here's what I know. If my kids leave my house and they know that I love them, it's not going to be enough. My kids need to know when they leave my house that God loves them. And so when we parent our kids, what we have to do is we have to love like God loves us. And then we have to say to our kids, again, we'll get into this more next week. We talk about words. We have to say to our kids, the reason why I'm loving you like this is because God has loved me like this. And God loves me like this. And so through him, I'm loving you like this. So that when I'm loving you like this, that's actually God loving you like this. You see what I'm saying? They can connect it back. I have this conversation with my nine-year-old daughter all the time. I say, baby, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And then I'll ask her a question. Do you know why I love you? Because you're my dad. Why am I your dad? Because you adopted me. Why did I adopt you? Because you wanted to adopt me. Then I'll say, because God adopted me first. Because God adopted me into his family. Because he loved me. And so I'm adopting you into my family because he adopted me into his family. So when I'm adopting you into my family, it's actually God adopting you into his family. Baby, I love you because he loved me first. And so when I love you, it's him loving you through me. You see how you connect the dots? Our kids need to know that not only you love them over time, because if you love them over time, that will create worth. But if the God of all creation loves them over time, that will create infinite worth. And that's our job. It's a crazy thing to think that one day my kids will look back and they will look at their heavenly father through the prism of their earthly father. That's a big weight. And so how I do that with my kids is I help them understand, listen, I'm, I'm imperfect. I've got to confess and repent too. See, your kids don't need to see you being perfect. Your kids need to see you in process. When you mess up with your kids, go to them and ask for forgiveness. Confess to them, hey, when dad did this, when dad blew up at you earlier, I was wrong. And I need you to forgive me. And you can create that sense of forgiveness and authenticity in your house. If you can create grace in your house, then they'll have no problem relating to God when they mess up. Because see, here's the story of the gospel. God gave us rules. We broke them and he showed up anyway. 
That is love. And so when we love our kids like that, we love them enough to give them rules, but when they break them, we show up anyway. We're just mirroring how God has loved us. My friends, if we can love like that over time, we'll create so much worth in them because God loves them like that over time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us like that. Thank you for not only giving us rules, but when we broke them, you showed up anyway and you covered them. And so God, I know that there are people in this room or listening right now that have not experienced that kind of love. They don't know you like that. And so God, I pray today that by the preaching of your word, you would open their eyes to see the truth, to know that you love them. And you proved that by coming among us. You made it manifest among us. As John said in John 1, you put on flesh and dwelt among us. You moved in. And so God, I know there are people that just can't wrap their minds around the fact that someone like you would love someone like them. But I pray right now that you would help them to see that that is true. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If There's never come a point in time in your life where you have come to know and believe the love that God has for you. You can receive that today. That's why I said this isn't a drive-by guilting. This is a, man, I want you to know and believe this. It'll change your life. And so if you want to come to know and believe God, if you want to trust God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me, not out loud. If you want to trust Jesus and be saved, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. Ask you to forgive me. I confess. And I receive your grace through faith. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that with me for the first time, very simply, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that and celebrate with you? Thank you. We got men and women walking around, gonna put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put your hand down. Thank you. But then those of us that would say we've already trusted Jesus and we love Jesus, but we just, if we were honest, we would say, man, I, yeah, sometimes I still don't know if he loves me. Today, you don't need to get saved again. You just need to know and believe it again. The gospel is really that good. He didn't fall in love with some future version of you. He knew the real you, and he loves you. He sacrificed himself for you. So you can receive and rest in that today, and then out of that place, you can love 
others over time to show their worth in what God did for them. Father, I pray that we would have these kind of families that would make up this kind of church where love is defined by you. It's defined by self-sacrificing good for others. It's defined by you. God, help our marriages and our families and our church to be made up of people that know that you love them over time and so therefore they have worth and that then we love others over time so that we can show them their worth. God, thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.